Well, good morning. And I like the light. I prefer it dim. If you come to my house, this is what it'll be like. Because uh, everyone says, put can lights in. I say, why? I, I like it this way. Um, so bring your flashlight if you come over to my house. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, covenants that God has made with man. Um, the point of looking at these covenants is to really renew our faith in the Word of God. Um, the goal would be to understand what faith is and what we mean when we say that we have faith. Um, and we're going to look at these covenants and promises that God has made in such a way to uh, strengthen what we believe. Um, when we say, when we tell people you have to have faith in Christ or you have to trust in Christ, uh, the world pretty much thinks of faith as something that you just hope for. Um, you know, uh, keep going how you're going, and in the end, hopefully it turns out okay. you got to have faith. Um, that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, the Bible teaches that faith is the Word of God being given and you choosing to believe the Word that is given. Um, that's what faith is. Faith is based on something that God has said <clears throat> and proven. Um, so we're going to be looking at these covenants and promises. If you want to go ahead and open to Genesis chapter 6, verse 17, we're going to start. This is not normally the message that I uh, tend to give. I normally like to pick one passage and stick to it. But since we're taking this topic of covenants, we're going to be going progressively through. Um, and as we go progressively through, I'll do my best to explain the context of, of each passage before we uh, look at it. Um, so this is <clears throat> Genesis chapter 6 and verse uh, 17. We're going to have the, the, really the first mention of the word covenant it says, And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. From under heaven and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. Um, so Noah has built the ark. God has told him that he's going to bring the flood. Um, and here God says that he's going to establish his covenant with Noah. But it's going to take place later, the establishing of this covenant. These are uh, instructions that God is giving, uh, and this is the first mention of covenant. In, in our society today, we're used to contracts. Uh, we're not really used to covenants. Uh, when I d get a job with the city, they give me this contract that's 150 pages of all the things that I have to do, and if I don't do, this is what happens, and I'm liable for this, I'm not liable for that. And at the end, you have to sign your name to it. And really, the contract is uh, based on distrust. Um, you come into a contract with somebody because you're afraid they're not going to uphold their deal, so you list all these penalties that they go through, and you have to sign your name to it. And the covenant is not based on distrust. The covenant is based on trust. Um, it's uh, all the power of the covenant is given with the one who's making it. Um, they're the ones that, that have the authority in that covenant. So that's just a little bit of the difference between what we think of as a contract and what we're going to look at as a covenant. And in the scriptures, um, there's seven features of a covenant. Now, not all covenants are going to have all seven features. Um, they will have at least the first three, and the other four will be here and there. Um, the first feature of a covenant is you have to have a covenant initiator, the one who's making the covenant. Um, we're going to see in all these cases, God is going to be that covenant initiator. Uh, the second thing is you're going to have a covenant recipient, um, not all the covenants are just promised to everybody. Um, the covenants are given. They're given to a specific 
people or group of people. And so we're going to be looking at who is specifically the covenant recipient. And the third thing is the promises being made. So you have the covenant initiator, the covenant recipient, the promises that are being made. Uh, the other four elements that will be here and there, uh, the first one we're going to look at is uh, terms or conditions for the promises given. So if I give promises and then I list conditions, well, that's a separate element to the covenant. Um, if I tell my wife, I'll take you to dinner anywhere you want to go Saturday night, um, that's a promise given. If I say, I'll take you to dinner anywhere you want to go Saturday night if you watch every Angels baseball game with me this week and enjoy it and are into it, I'll take you to dinner on Saturday night. Um, one would be a safe promise, the other one wouldn't be. Um, so that's kind of the thing. I have terms or conditions along with my promise. Another thing that we're going to look at is the setting or the way the promises are given. Uh, sometimes God will have a specific setting uh, to convey um, a specific feeling that he wants the, the, the recipient to have. So a covenant will have a setting. <clears throat> Another thing a covenant can have is a mediator. And when we say mediator, we don't want, mean like we mean today, where um, you have two parties and they're in disagreement and one person comes in and, and settles the, the difference between the two. Um, that's what we think of as a mediator. Um, when the Bible speaks of a mediator, he speaks of um, God speaking to this group of people through an individual. That, that individual that speaks for God to the people is a mediator of this covenant. So we're going to be looking at that. And the last thing is that uh, a covenant can have a sign or a symbol of the covenant. Um, one of the things that we can relate to today's point of view is that we do have a covenant ceremony in a way with the marriage ceremony. Um, it's a very formal thing that takes place, and the sign of the marriage covenant is, is often the, the wedding ring. So this is a sign of the promises my wife made to me uh, the day that we got married. And so this ring doesn't make me married, but it's a sign of the, the covenant we were brought into. So those are the seven features of the covenant. Uh, this morning, the goal is to um, look at the Noahic covenant and the covenant God makes with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. And this evening, we're going to look at uh, the children of Israel when they just get out of Egypt and the next covenant with Israel just before they enter the land. Uh, commonly known as the law, the giving of the law. We're going to look at that this evening. So we have here in Genesis 6 the first mention of the covenant, and as I said, it comes later in Genesis chapter 9, um, beginning in verse 8. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse 8. <clears throat> and each one of these covenants is going to have something that it conveys um, through the word of God. Uh, this first covenant that we're going to see with Noah Really, the theme of it is preservation, uh, God's promise to preserve um, the world, <clears throat> that he would not bring a flood to destroy it again. So Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse 8, we're going to read to verse 17. And God spake with, unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, I, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you of the, fowl of, the, of the fowl of the cattle and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations." 
I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh, and the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, this is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. So what we do see is that there, there's promises given in the scripture, but when God enters to, into a covenant with man, it's, it's, it's this very formal uh, thing that takes place. Um, in verses 9 and 10, we're going to see clearly the covenant recipients. Um, it says, I will establish my covenant with you, with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you of the fowl of the cattle of every beast of the earth with you from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. Uh, the covenant really is made with all living things that are on the earth at this point in time. And we see that that goes perpetual to all generations. Um, Noah and his seed after him. So the covenant recipients, we are in fact covenant recipients of this promise. Um, verse 11 is the promises. It says, uh, uh, and I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. We have there the promises that God has made. And in verses 16 and 17, we see with this covenant that there is a covenant sign. And it says, The bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. Um, something to point out, there's no power in the symbol. There's no power in the token. Um, however, the symbol is powerful. And what I mean by that is we can imagine Noah, who had never seen it rain before. God comes to him and tells him to build the ark that he's going to bring a, a flood that's going to flood the earth. We see the storm clouds come, the flood comes, all the earth is, is destroyed, all the living creatures on the earth. And we see that Noah comes out of the ark, one of eight people. And everything that lives is in that ark coming out of it. Um, the next time the storm clouds are on the horizon, what might Noah be tempted to do? Go find the ark, right? Go get back in the ark. And what would happen is he would see the rainbow in the clouds and he would remember the promise of God. And so the rainbow doesn't stop the flood from coming, but the rainbow is proof of the promise that God made that he would not do it. And so Noah would not need to go and, and search for salvation in something else. Um, he would have a promise of God and he would have faith in the word of God that he gave him. So again, this ring doesn't make me married. Um, but it, it shows that I have faith in the promises my wife made me when she gave it to me, and she wears hers for the same. So there's no power in it, but it's powerful in itself. Um, we're going to take a look at the setting, the setting of this covenant that's being made. Now, some time may have passed in between these things, but this is the way that the Scripture presents it. Um, we're going to look at Genesis 8, just right before this takes place. Genesis 8 and verse 18 uh, to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> it says, And Noah went forth, and his sons and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth. 
after their kinds went forth out of the ark. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again any more or neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. While the earth remain at seed time and harvest, and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. So what we have here, um, before the covenant is made, God has determined this is what he's going to do. And he makes a covenant with Noah so that he could ease the fear of Noah going through life um, the rest of his years. And so this covenant promise that he has, and also it's something that we can look back on, uh, that God made this promise with Noah and with all his descendants. And so it's something that we can see over thousands of years. Uh, God has kept his, his word to us, that his promise is true. But the setting that it's given in is that of worship. Uh, Noah comes out of the ark, and his first instinct is to build an altar and sacrifice a burnt offering to the Lord. Um, we see that the Lord is, is extremely pleased with this, that if, after everything he's seen, that Noah would worship him. Um, for all that's taken place. And we see that fully pictured in the person of his son, who is that burnt offering that would be to come, that sweet-smelling aroma, the fact that um, because of sin, the earth was cursed, but through that burnt offering of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of this will be redeemed. Um, Really, that sweet-smelling aroma that the Lord is uh, to the Father. So that is the Noahic covenant. It's a very simple covenant. It's to all people. It's for preservation, that the Lord will not again destroy the earth with the flood. Um, And we see that it's uh, uh, put in place and that the symbol of that is the rainbow. Perfect. The next thing we're going to look at is uh, Abraham. Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to begin in verse 1. This is going to be an interesting uh, look at it because God makes many promises to Abram, um, who we know as Abraham. Um, And the covenant that God enters with Abraham is very specific. However, the promises that he makes is is what he uses to um, work his will in the world. Um, We see that the seed of Abraham, that seed is Christ, that that this is all through the workings of God's promise. So God gives these promises um, that Abraham might be sure. And he also gives these promises that as we look back, we can see that we can trust what God has said, that what God has said will truly come true. Um, So Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed." So we see promises first. We're going to have a covenant later. Um, but we're going to look at three features of this promise that God has made. Uh, the first one in verse 2, he says, I will make of thee a great nation. Uh, we're going to see uh, national promises. He promises him a nation, uh, a physical people. Uh, the second promise is personal promises. Uh, it says, um, thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And the third one we're going to look at as a form of international promises. Um, this promise that God gives that all the, all the families of the earth 
shall be blessed. So we're going to look how God is going to fulfill um, his promises that he's given to Abram and that promises are given in a very specific way and we can't just claim a promise that isn't to us. Um, we have to claim the promises that are directly given to us. So go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 13 and verse 14. So we have back there the promise that was given. Uh, Abram goes into the land. Uh, he pitches his tent. And then a famine comes, and he's driven down into Egypt. And so Abram spends time in Egypt. We know that he uh, tells a... a, a a white lie, a half-truth, that his wife is just his sister, and we see that uh, the Pharaoh takes his wife, finds out that it's, it's in fact, or that takes his wife because he thinks it's just his sister, finds out that it's actually his wife. Abr uh, the king, the Pharaoh, gives the wife back to Abram and also showers him with all these uh, gifts and sends him on his way. And so we see Abram and Lot come back out of Egypt, uh, laden down, uh, with gifts, and because of all of these gifts that come, all this, what we call earthly blessing, um, we see that it causes the separation of Lot from Abram. Uh, the servants weren't getting along, and so Abram says, let there not be any trouble between us. You pick a place where you want to go, and I'll take what's left. And so Lot looks and sees the well-watered plains of Jordan and says, I want this piece here, and Abram says, okay, then I'll take this piece over here. And so this is at a point in time where Abram is probably depressed. You know, all these things have taken place, and now him and his nephew have to uh, separate. And uh, the land that was promised to him is now uh, being taken over by uh, his nephew. And so we have here in uh, Genesis uh, 13, verse 14, um, it says, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent, and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. So we have here really a picture of the earthly people that Abram is going to get out of his line. Um, we see that he's going to have physical descendants, and those physical descendants will indeed dwell in the land. Um, we see that as, as a promise given to Abram, um, kind of going in line with the national blessing, um, which is the first promise that we see in chapter 12. So continuing on <clears throat> to chapter 15, what takes place in chapter 14 is we have these battle of these kings. So Lot goes, and he's overtaken and care of by the king of Sodom, uh, the four kings against the five kings. And we see that um, they're all taken captive. Uh, they're ransacked, and they're taken out towards the other location. And we see Abram mounts his 318 or so servants, and they go, and they defeat this other uh, power. They bring all the goods back. They bring all the people back to the king of Sodom. And at this point in time, the king says, well, you know, uh, take what you wish. These are the, your spoils. Take it. And Abram, uh, not wanting to really have anybody, give anybody the opportunity to say, well, I was the one that made Abram great, uh, refuses everything. Uh, just takes what the man had already eaten, and um, he leaves. 
And uh, so we see Abram is in this state now of, well, was that such a good idea? Like, I just turned down all that stuff. Um, we kind of have that same mentality when we make a stand for the Lord and it causes us in a way to suffer possibly physically. Um, sometimes we have this feeling in, our, in ourselves that was this really the right choice? Or is that really the gift of God that I just refused? And all these things going through our mind. And the point is when you, when you make a stand for God, whatever the outcome, you, you did the right thing. You made a stand for God. And you can only make a stand based on the word that's been given. So we see here, um, Abram refuses these gifts, and in chapter 15, verse 1, it says, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Um, God brings comfort to Abram. says that not only am I your protection, but I am your provision, and what I have is far greater than everything that you just refused. Um, so he's comforting Abram. Abram right now possibly feeling a little down. And we see here in verse, uh, verse 2, we'll read through the end of the chapter. Uh, and Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the, steward of my and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. <clears throat> And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Uh, I lied. We're going to pause right there first. Forgive me. Um, so we see uh, Abram's attitude was, you, you know, God, you promised me all these descendants. You promised me a seed. And right now, did you mean that the seed that I'm supposed to have is this servant's son? Is he, is he the one that's supposed to inherit? And really, I'm just misunderstanding what you've said. And um, I think a lot of times people do this with the word of God. Uh, they see a promise that God has given, and they try to understand it in the terms of their own life. Well, this is possibly what he meant when he said this certain thing to me. And we see that that's not the case. When God makes a statement, um, he makes it as clear as possible so that we can accept it as clearly as possible. So when God promised the seed to Abram, um, we would assume that it would come out of Abram's loins and that it would be the son of Sarah. Um, the problem is Sarah was barren and Abram was, extreme, was an old man at this point in time. So the doubts would start to arise, well, what am I going to do? I guess I'm not going to have a seed. And so God, wanting to uh, show grace to Abram, uh, he says, he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And we see this is a promise of a heavenly people, a promise of those that would believe uh, based on faith, the faith that Abraham had. And so... <clears throat> We're going to go, keep going through this, and we're going to look back upon these two things as far as where do we fit in in these promises and how can we legally claim um, a place in these promises. So keep that in mind, those five words in chapter 5, or in verse 5, so shall thy seed be, and in verse 6, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. So here, finally, after all these promises given, after establishment again of the promises, 
God is going to enter into a covenant with Abram. In verse 7, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance, and thou shalt go to thy, father in, thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Rephaim, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So what we have here is like the, the official establishment, the formal element of a covenant that God has made with Abram. And we see that that covenant is to the land, that there is a promise that his people will dwell in that land. Um, so a couple of things we're going to look at. Uh, the covenant initiator is God. The covenant recipient is Abram and his seed. It's important to note that when God made this covenant, this is why we don't have any place in this covenant. When God made this covenant, he said, into Abram's seed. Now, Abram had eight sons but only one was the son of promise to whom the next promise would be given, and that was Isaac. And so we know from that relationship that Abram has with Isaac that Isaac now is that promised seed, and from him there was Jacob and Esau, and from that God chose again, and God chose Jacob, that Jacob would be the one. Then we have the 12 tribes of Israel. So we see that the seed that God was speaking of was the nation of Israel. They would have the tie to the land. And we can see that based on God's choice as he chooses the seed to whom uh, the promise would go to. Uh, so that's how we know that we don't have, unless you know, we were a child of Israel, unless we had a tie to the nation of Israel, um, we wouldn't have a tie to this covenant that God is making with Abram. Um, another thing to look at is the, <clears throat> the promises are to the land. There's no terms or conditions given. Uh, we saw that in the last covenant. There's no terms or conditions given. It was simply a promise that God made. Um, we're going to take a look at the setting. What's the setting? Um, Abram takes these animals, kills them, cuts them in half, and makes an aisle, kind of like what we have here, an aisle. Dead animals on this side, dead animals on this side. And traditionally in that period of time, when you were making a covenant or entering an agreement with someone, you would do this and you would walk down the aisle while stating the covenant, the promises that you would make and the promises that they were making. And you were stating it in front of death, in a sense, that if you failed to break the covenant, that, you know, this is, this is really what you had coming to you. Um, we have something similar, though not as serious, in the, the marriage ceremony. Um, when the man is standing up here and the wife comes down the center of the aisle, 
um, that is really a, a very formal setting. You know, she doesn't come around the back. She doesn't. She comes right down the aisle in between these witnesses that everyone can see the promises that are being made um, to him. So that's really a picture of what we have and uh, where we kind of get the term, let's cut a deal. Um, let's cut a deal. So the setting is all these things are prepared, and as God goes to make the covenant, instead of God and Abram walking down this aisle together, Abram's in a deep, deep sleep. And he's not even a part of the, the transaction that's being made. And so what this shows us is that the only one that would be able to break this covenant is God himself because he's the only one with the responsibility that's going in between this, this, these sacrifices. Um, so what this setting does for us is it shows us that um, Abram has no responsibility in, what, in what's going on. Uh, this is something that God is just going to, to give him. Um, you know, like I said, with the wife coming down the center of the aisle, imagine um, it's all ready to take place. My wife and I are ready to get married, and uh, she's just sitting in the back row. And um, I'm making all these promises that these are all the things I'm going to do, and she's kind of sleeping in the back. And uh, really, I'm making these promises, and really the truth of it is saying it doesn't depend on her. I intend to keep these promises of my own character. And so we can trust the character of God in these promises that he's made, which is why now... I don't want you to take that and think that what's going on in Israel right now is uh, the way it's supposed to be. Um, they have done this of, of political end and everything like this. When God made this covenant, God said that he would do it and that he would make it sure. Um, this isn't something that uh, we, we, we support Israel and all of these things. That's a political firestorm. Um, what, what the word of God says is that God will eventually, that he'll give them the land to inherit it. So what we have here is uh, the, <clears throat> the setting, uh, no terms or conditions given. And we do have a sign, but the sign doesn't come till later. So in chapter 15, we have the end here. And in chapter 16, we have Abram thinking again, Abram and his wife. And they're thinking, well... Sarah is barren, and she's not able to have a child, and the promise is that the seed would come from the loins of Abram. So, Abram, I'm going to give you my maidservant, Hagar, and from Hagar, you'll have the seed that God promised. And so, um, we're going to help God out in such a way that uh, we will bring about the promises that God has made. And so, we see that, indeed, Abram listens to his wife. Uh, he lays with Hagar, and the son Ishmael is born to him. But we know that he is not the promised seed. Um, so we see here the sign of the covenant doesn't come until chapter 17. So go ahead and turn to chapter 17. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 1. Uh, this is many years later. When Abram was 90 was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect, and I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make 
nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou, thou and thy seed after thee and their generations. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man-child in your generations, he that is born in the house or bought with money, of any stranger which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man, child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. And so what we have here is a covenant sign given, the covenant sign of circumcision. Um, as I said, Abram went out of God's will and had a son with Hagar, uh, son Ishmael. And so God comes to Abram and he establishes the sign of this covenant and it's going to be a cutting away of the flesh of the male reproductive organ. And we see that in that symbol, God is saying it's not going to be by your own will and flesh that you're going to bring about the promises that I've given you. Uh, God himself is going to bring about these promises and the power of the flesh is not going to be in them. Um, so we see that this, this sign given really was to show that uh, for, for them and for generations to follow, that it's not through the flesh that they're going to receive these promises. Um, they're only going to receive these promises because God has said they would. So the interesting thing here is we see the faith of Abraham and that the day that this sign was given to be circumcised, he went and took all the men and circumcised everybody. Um, again, there, there's no power in the circumcision. However, if I didn't believe in the promises of God, then I wouldn't circumcise my, my son if I was a, a child of, of Abraham. Um, we see that the, the wedding ring given, if I didn't believe in the promises my wife made to me, why would I wear the, wet, the wedding ring? That's um, not that fashionable. Hers is more fashionable. Mine's not as fashionable. So... Really, the purpose that we have here is just to show um, really the faith of Abraham in the covenant that God made with him, that he would be willing to, to cut away the flesh and that he still believed in the promises that were given. Abraham's attitude at this point in time was, just let Ishmael be the seed. Just, just let it be Ishmael. I, I love my son. He, you know, at this point, Ishmael's 13, 14 years old. And he says, just, just let this young man be my seed. And God said, no. It's not going to be him. It's going to be a son that's born to Sarah, and you're going to call his name Isaac. And to him, the promises will go to. And so there we have the establishment of who the promises go to as far as the land. Um, so as we continue through these things, we can see really the, the, the nature of God's promises, that as we look back throughout history, we can see that God has fulfilled everything that he said he was going to do. Um, it's going to be even easier to see it when we look at the law and the, the law given and the promises made it this evening. Uh, that would be much easier to look back through history and see um, how faithful God truly is. 
Um, but this covenant um, that God enters with Abram is really based on this idea of relationship. Um, so the first covenant we had, the, the main idea supporting that was preservation. Um, in this covenant, what we have is relationship. Um, we have to have a relationship to Abraham um, to see the blessing um, for international promises or for uh, a national promise. Um, we see that you have to be tied to Abraham. So really the question is then, what is the basis of our relationship with Abraham that we come into these promises? So we're going to take the last couple of minutes here and we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And really what I want to show this morning is the importance of understanding the promises and covenants of God and seeing how they play out in the New Testament, seeing how we are brought into these promises and what it does give us is this beautiful uh, picture of really the power of God and everything that he's planned for us. So in the, the epistle to the Galatians, what we have here is Paul's defense for the gospel of God, that it is by faith alone, not of works, um, not only for salvation, but also for sanctification. Um, salvation comes through faith in Christ, and sanctification is going to come through faith in Christ. It's not going to be a matter of once you get saved, and that's where the verse comes in, um, did you begin in the spirit and are you now perfected in the flesh? The answer is no. We're not going to by our own will get out there and, and be sanctified. Um, it is something that we do by abiding, by continuing to have faith in Christ. And that is the process that we're going to enter into the sanctification, which in the end, we will be sanctified. Um, and that's really the, the purpose of it all. So Galatians chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 7. <clears throat> well, we're going to look at verse 6 too. Uh, we have here the verse that we saw in um, earlier. Even as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. What we have here is really the, the legal aspect of our relationship with Abraham, that it's based on faith. Um, we are the people that it says, the stars of heaven, and we see that we enter the promise that in thee all the nations of the world shall be blessed. Because of Christ, Christ was that promised seed that would come. And as we've been saved, we are born again in Christ, Christ in us and us in Christ. And therefore, we enter into the promises by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see that this uh, promise that was given legally fulfilled from Genesis all the way to the New Testament and to our lives now that we can stand firm on the promises that God has given um, based on what Christ has done and our life in him. Um, look at verse 14 of Galatians chapter 3. It says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And again in verse 26 through 29, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus, and if ye be Christ, 
then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And really, this just causes us to say hallelujah. I mean, the, the perfection of God's word and everything that he's established, it's undeniable. And so when we speak of people needing to have faith in Christ, this is what we're talking about. Look, go all the way back and look at all the promises God has made and look at the promise he's given to you. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And what we've just done is we've gone through the scriptures and we've looked at how that promise is made true and how that promise is made powerful. And so when it comes to choosing to believe in the promise that God has made, all it is is taking God at his word. That's the faith that we have, and that's the saving faith. We could see it was, it was what saved Abraham, and it's what saves all of us today. Um, so when, when we are speaking to people, when we are in conversation and we speak of faith, it's you read the promise in God's word and you choose to believe it. That's what faith is. And so we're going to hammer this point home, and we're going to look in Romans 4. Romans chapter 4, in this last five minutes, beginning in verse 1. Um, this is that uh, uh, really the argument against um, if it's by the flesh, if it's through a fleshly relationship, or it's by faith, uh, through a spiritual relationship that we have, uh, the, the means by which we are justified. Uh, we see most people in the world today think that even if they do believe in Christ, they may say, well, you have to believe in Christ, but then you have to obey uh, the law and you have to live up to a certain standard. Um, well, if we were justified when we believe, then why, do we, why are we trying to work to this standard? And so Paul's going to take care of this um, argument here. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Go ahead and look at verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace, to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of, faith, of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So the question is, well, why was this promise given by faith? And God says the promise is given by faith that it might be free to all, that all might enter in. Um, God's will is that nobody would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's God's will, and God has even made provision for all. Um, so this is why it is by faith and not by physical relationship. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And this is the key. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, 
who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So really what God has done is he's given us all the evidence we could possibly need to have faith in his word that we might be born again. Um, What we see here also is that all these things are established and then we are instructed to walk. We see in in chapter 8 of Romans and chapter 12 of Romans Um, All these things take place. God does all of these things, and in the end, he asks us uh, to walk in them. And so we see that it's not based on anything we're doing. It's based solely upon uh, the work that God is doing, that he has been the one willing to make these promises that everything might be done by grace, that he might reveal um, his true character, that our God is a merciful God, and that our God is a gracious God, and his desire is to bless us. So the big thing we want to take away from all this as we look at the promises of God and we look at our life, um, let us not be confused. Um, We see that many people today view their spiritual blessing based on their physical accumulation. Um, And we look at the the churches in Revelation and we see the church at Smyrna and they are the, 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 the blessed church, the one that go on and they are poor and they have nothing. And we see the church at Laodicea uh, and they have all these earthly goods, and he says, but you're naked and wretched and poor. And so let us not be confused by um, really what the word of God says and our own lives, that we may be encouraged, um, that we may have confidence in the promises God has given. We'll go ahead and close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful um, that you are a, a promise-making God and a promise-keeping God, um, that by your own will you entered into all these promises that would bestow us with with such blessing. And Father, we are so thankful that for us, all of those blessings come to us by the work of your Son and in his person. We're so thankful for a a Savior that loves us, uh, that watches over us, that prays for us and intercedes for us, that guides us. And Father, we pray that we might live as light in this world for him, uh, not out of fear of condemnation, Um, but out of love for all that he's done for us. And we pray as we gather together this evening and we look again at your scriptures that it might be a blessing to us, that our faith might be strengthened in all that you have said you will do. Uh, We lift this day up. We do pray for our young uh, brother Levi, just that he would be healed and brought back uh, home and that all would be well. We do continue to pray for our brother Will and his battle with cancer and the chemo that is coming up. We just pray for uh, peace for him and the family and a joy uh, that passes all understanding. Father, we just lift all these things up in Jesus' name. Amen.